Our gospel reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 25, verses 25 through 37. Listen for the word of God. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit an eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put them on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The parable of the Good Samaritan is perhaps one of the best known parables of all Jesus' teachings. Have you heard this parable before? All right. Well, you've heard everything I'm going to say, <clears throat> but you haven't heard what you're going to say on it. There's a great tradition in the Jewish, um, Jewish faith. It's called Midrash. And what the Midrash does is it takes the Scripture and it stretches it. And it fills in kind of what happened before. It fills in what happens after. And it, it just fills in all of these little interesting pieces in the middle. So it, it takes a very short, compact passage and, and stretches it out and, and gives it new interesting meanings and twists. So we're going to do a little bit of that today. And I'm not going to get as much into the, the, the parable itself as you probably have in the past, because you've heard it before. You know, the, the, the Levite, the priest is supposed to be a good guy, right? The Levite is in the priestly class. He's supposed to be a good guy. The Samaritan is not supposed to be a good guy. He's the enemy. Okay, He's the one that helps out. So a lawyer comes up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what is a teacher supposed to respond to that with what? An answer. An answer. Right. Teachers are supposed to give answers. Do good teachers give you the answer? No. No. I love it. When I grew up, um, there was this very large shopping mall with this enormous sign that was always lit up. 
that said, Christ is the answer. Ever see one of these? It's either a billboard or a sign, but this one was lit up at night. My wife and I, when, when we got older, we saw it, I was, we would crack up because we'd say, what would you like to eat tonight? Well, obviously the sign says, which means like, hmm. But the sign, and, and people always say, Christ is the answer. But if you look in Scripture, for every question that Jesus actually answers, he asks over eight in return. He is eight times more likely to ask a question in response to a question than he is to answer it directly. So it's probably truer to say Christ is the question. And this is important because the questions are really, really important. The questions determine what answers we give. We have scientists in our, in our midst. Okay, Phil, Mr. Phil Garrison, if you ask, let's say, um, if you ask Einstein's questions of the universe, whose answers do you get? Einstein's. If you ask Copernicus's questions of the universe, you get whose answers? Copernicus. If you ask Ptolemy's questions of the answers, you get Ptolemy's answers. The answers we get to questions are a function of our questions. We need to be asking the right questions. So Jesus turns right back out and he says, What's written? What do you find there? You're testing me, I'm going to test you right back. And he says, Look, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor and yourself. And this is hard to encapsulate altogether. I mean, this guy does a really good job. And Jesus just says, well done. Do this, and you will live. We're done, right? He's got, he knows the answer to his own question. He just wanted affirmation, or he wanted to test Jesus, whatever. But he knows the answer. But he wants to what? He wants to justify himself. And so he asks the question, who is my neighbor? Now, is this the, is this the question that Jesus answers? Does Jesus answer, who is my neighbor? This is the yes or no question, people. You got a 50-50 shot. No, he really doesn't. He answers the question, how do you be a neighbor? Doesn't he? I mean, you can say, even the Samaritan is our neighbor. Even the Muslim, even the Iraqi, even the whoever, you know, you pick your poison, whoever you don't like. Even those people are neighbors. But the question really isn't who is our neighbor so much as how do we be neighbors? How do we be neighborly? And this was ringing through my head yesterday. We were walking Santa Monica Pier. My son just had a week of camp, and we picked him up at camp and uh, took his girlfriend up, which he very much enjoyed. Um, it was a film camp, so we saw his film. Then we took him to the pier for some lunch. And Santa Monica Pier, if you know the pier, they've got about uh, 100 meters off to the, to the north. They've got this huge area roped off, so swimmers stay north 
because people on the pier are fishing. And they want to keep people from swimming into the pier, and they want to get people from getting hooked on hooks. And this guy is swimming out, and he's an old geezer. Sorry, he is. And in his little Speedo, which really wasn't very aesthetic at that age. <laughs> and he gets beyond the roped-off... Yeah, I know, it's, thanks for the image, right? Now that... <laughs> You will not hear another thing that I say because now you've got this image of this old guy in a beard wearing a Speedo. And, and he's getting closer and closer and closer to the pier. And he's not able to beat the wind. There was a little wind. And he's not able to beat the wind. And I'm a lifeguard. It's really hard for me to see this. So I'm kind of walking the pier looking at this guy thinking, I do not want to have to take off my pants and jump into this stupid ocean because this guy's being an idiot. And I watch him till he gets all the way. He's basically, and, and I don't think there's any way that he's going to make it back. I think he's going to have to go all the way around the pier now and get way down before he can head back because he's just not beating. And, and we need to go because the meter is running out in my car. And I do not want a $100 ticket in Santa Monica because I'm watching some idiot in the water who doesn't have any business being there. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm somebody that actually can save this guy's life if needs be. But I don't want a ticket, and I need to get home, and, you know, I don't know what to do, and I don't really want to drop my pants and jump in the water. Because if I have to save this guy, I can't do it with pants on. I'm going to have to you know, swim him somewhere. There's a lifeguard a half a mile away. No, 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 there's not. Well, there, anyway, maybe there is. Maybe there is, but there, there were no lifeguards watching. And I finally found a cop, and I said, look, there's this guy, and da-da-da, and they said, we, you know, we do have an eye on him, and he looks like he's going to make it back. But my son keeps saying, Dad, do we need to stay? Dad, do we need to stay? Dad, do we need to stay? And I kept thinking, probably, but I got to go. So I'll find someone else. I'll find someone else. I did find someone else. But was I being really neighborly? Yes. Somewhat. Should I have stuck it out, even risking the $100 ticket? Probably. Did I feel terrible? Yeah. yeah. And it always happens, these moments always come up right when you're doing some sermon like this. Like, thanks for the lesson. Really needed that today. I'm on the clock. There's probably a very good reason why the priest passed him by. There's probably a really good reason why the Levi, he was on his way somewhere. And, you know, whatever. There's, I'm, there's always good reasons, aren't there? There's always good reasons why we do what we do and why we don't do what we don't do. I spent two days uh, this, this past week uh, as, a, as a chaplain, pastor chaplain at Strength for the Journey Camp. This is a camp for uh, people living with HIV and AIDS. And one of the things I love about the camp is people really do know how to be neighborly. They take care of one another. When someone's not feeling well, they go and they get the food and they, they take it back to the cabins so, so someone doesn't miss a meal. If somebody needs a ride, they, you know, they, they make sure that there's a golf cart. They, people know how to be neighborly. They know what it's like to live with HIV and with AIDS, and they, they look after 
one another. So my question for us is, as we do a midrash today, what happens in Paul Harvey's, in Paul Harvey's worth, in the words, and now for the rest of the story? Scripture doesn't tell us what the rest of the story is. Scripture just moves on. But I want us to think, what happens to the lawyer now? When he leaves there, what does he do? Is he any different? The question is really, are we any different? Is the lawyer, does the lawyer behave any different? He asked the right question. He gave the right answer. Jesus clarified what it means to be a neighbor, how to be neighborly. And then does it make any difference in the world? What do we think? You hope so. See, this is, this is pure fiction, folks. There are truly no wrong answers. This is a time when I ask these kind of questions, you just shout it out because no one can say, well, you're wrong. It's like, you don't know. It's not there. So you hope so. You hope so. What do you think? Yes or no? That's a perfect hedged bet. Yes. Okay. Who says no? We got to know. This is honest. We got to know here. You got to know here. What about us? Is it a yes or a no for us? When you leave here today, and you've all heard, most of you, maybe some of you have not heard this story. But the story is about a man who gets injured, he gets attacked by thugs, he's, very, he's, he's sick and, you know, I mean, he's very badly injured, he needs help, and two people walk by who should have helped him, and they don't. And third, somebody who they never expect would help somebody, and he takes care and says, takes him to the end and says, I'll pay for whatever, here's some money, here's two days' wages, you know, to, to take care of this guy, and I'm going to come back in a few days, and if he needs more money, I'll give it to you then. You know? Who was the neighbor? You know, who showed how to be a neighbor? That, that guy. And we can all pick our class of whatever for who that person is. But are we going to be that person? Sometimes. Honesty. Uh, yeah. You had your hand, yeah. Kathy. Yeah, and you know, changes happen gradually. Patterns happen gradually. I had a neighbor once who, um, with, he he grew up Catholic, and he was a he was a uh, world-renowned dentist, and so he was you would dub, and he was he was everywhere, and so he said, "When you're going to preach a really good sermon, let me know, <laughs> and I'll come and I'll hear that one, because we all know that four out of five are going to go like this." So when you hit one that you think actually has something relevant to say, let me know and I'll show up. And I just smiled and I said, thanks. Uh, because it doesn't work that way. And we've all been where we've heard a real inspirational person and they motivate you for one day. And then you move on in your life. But church and truly inspiring people don't work that way. You come week after week, and after a while, your attitude changes. You see things differently. 
It's like when people talk about youth group, the most important thing that a youth group does is they meet. They just meet. It's not the program. It's the fact that they get together week after week. In, in the class, you know, that Lynn teaches, the fact that they show up, you know. Any one particular class or any one segment in a class may not be great. But what's important is you show up. Book club, it's the same thing. You show up and you talk about books. Sometimes you like the books. Sometimes you wish the book had never been written. But you show up and you're part of a group. It takes time. I mean, I do this for a living, folks, and I left the pier. And I was pretty confident because of this, I said, we've got eyes on the guy, he's making it back, he's, we think he's going to be fine. And at that point I knew somebody had eyes on the man, but you know, I didn't, but I left. And those are choices that we make. But each and every time, in each and every situation, we are faced with a choice. Life is not one choice, I'm going to follow Jesus today. I, I, I love people that say, well, I made a decision to follow Jesus, and so I'm good. It's like, Really? Really? Wow. I wish it worked that way for me. Because each and every moment I am faced with a decision, will I do A or will I do B? Each and every moment. Will I actually today pick up my clothes like I promised my wife I will? It's a crapshoot. I don't know. I promised that I would, but sometimes I just get tired and I just forget and I just I realize, whoops, there they are on the floor again. <laughs> and that's a pretty harmless one. <laughs> well, not to my wife. <laughs> She's not here, so I can say that. This is under the cone of secrecy. <laughs> but every decision, who is my neighbor? How? Can I be neighborly? And sometimes we think, I'm a good person, so when I act really badly, it's okay because I'm a good person. It's like, you're not a good person when you're acting badly. <laughs> you know, you're a good person when you're acting good. You're a mean person when you act mean. It doesn't mean you're a mean person, but that's just, you know... Every decision, every act we take, and I'm not trying to put pressure on because sometimes, in, particularly in middle-class America, we are just absolutely wiped out by our guilt. We, are, you know, we can't save everybody, and so we think, well, if I can't save everybody, I shouldn't do anything because I'm just, I feel so paralyzed. But every little act, you know, looking someone in the eye and, you know, I am really glad you're here. You know, I'm just so... So glad you're here. And that's all it takes. And she has to either believe me or not, but I mean it. But it's a simple, it's often the simplest little things. Did the lawyer change his life? Will we change our lives? It's up to us. It's up to us. It's up to us. And Lynn wants me to say, and that's good news. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But it is up to us. Since I always say it's good news. Let's be neighborly. Amen.